Innovate UK KTN. Connecting for positive change. Hello again, listeners, and welcome to episode seven of the Hydrogen Ready podcast, uh, brought to you by Innovate UK KTN. So if you listened to the previous episode, then you'll know that I'm Steph Eldred. So I'm part of the clean energy and infrastructure team at Innovate UK KTN and also lead on our hydrogen innovation network. Regular listeners will be well used to this by now, um, but just in case you've stumbled across episode seven and jumped in straight away here, then the Hydrogenerally podcast series, it's its the voice really of the Hydrogen Innovation Network um, of Innovate UK KTN. And what it's about is applications, opportunities and challenges uh, for hydrogen economy and how we sort of help to enable local clean hydrogen uptake at scale and hopefully try and find novel solutions or help to find novel solutions for these. If you haven't already, then if you go to the Innovate UK KTM website, um, there'll be a link in the description for this. So if you go to the website and then you can sign up to receive newsletters and updates there, and you'll also find previous episodes and going forward future episodes in there. So... Uh, six episodes so far. So we've covered hydrogen production, um, where it should be used or where you get the sort of biggest bang for, for your buck with hydrogen in terms of decarbonisation. Talked about marine, aviation and glass. Uh, the last one was slightly different. We stepped away a little bit and went to sort of waste to X or waste to hydrogen. Um, and today we're going back into a sector, but a pretty broad sector. So heat and obviously hydrogen for heat. So with such a large area, um, I'm really glad to have a safe pair of hands on all things heat with me today, Jenny McDonnell. So Jenny, yeah, I hope you're well. Can you introduce yourself to our listeners and tell them a little bit about your role? And then we'll get into introducing the guests for today's episode. Yeah, sure. Hi, Steph. It's great to be able to take part in the podcast today. So hi, listeners. As Steph said, my name's Jenny McDonnell and I lead on thermal energy at KTN. So I try to keep up to speed on all the new innovations being developed in heating and cooling within homes, businesses, all the way up to heavy industry and manufacturing. And that includes things like heat pumps, hydrogen boilers, solar thermal, bioenergy, but also the systems that support it. So thermal storage, distribution and the end use applications. So if it relates to heating and cooling, then I'm interested. And I'm very pleased to say that we have Jeff House with us from uh, Baxi Heating today. Um, Jeff is a fountain of knowledge on all things heat related and is well up to speed on the move to hydrogen within this field. Um, so, Jeff, I was wondering, could you just uh, introduce yourself and your role at Baxi for us? Absolutely. Thank you, Jenny. And uh, good, good to talk, Steph, as well. Um, so yeah, my name is Jeff House. I'm, I'm Head of External Affairs at, at Baxi Heating UK. Um, so you'll notice in the UK for being Baxi boilers effectively, but we have a whole range of technology across both the domestic and the commercial heating sectors. Um, we're also part of BDR Thermeo Group at global level. So you might have seen some, some hydrogen talk around Europe, especially under the BDR moniker, but it's effectively all of the same organisation. So my role really is looking at policy and regulation. So I've been very close to hydrogen for a few years now. We've been part of the Hive Heat programme. But in terms of overall industry engagement, I've been in the industry for 23 years now and in a variety of sort of technical and regulatory roles. So it's a reasonable amount of experience to look back on. Great. Yeah, thanks both. Um, uh, thanks for joining the podcast today. 
I will certainly very much value it today with the with the expertise. Just Jenny, before we get into the detail um, and probably start bombarding poor Jeff with questions, um, just can you give us a quick sort of overview of the current drive towards decarbonisation of heat and, and where hydrogen fits into that? Yeah, sure. So uh, for a long time, um, the government was focusing on decarbonising electricity. But in the last sort of four or five years, that focus has switched over onto trying to decarbonise heat. Um, And even today, we still 14% of the UK's carbon emissions relates to uh, heating and and powering needs in the home. So there's still quite a lot that we can do. The the government had their heat and building strategy that came out in October last year, um, and that talked through some of the solutions. So the uh, heat pump rollout, 600,000 heat pumps per year being deployed by 2028, and also uh, heat networks. But the other thing that was included in there, which led to this podcast today, was hydrogen for heating. 85% of homes are currently on the gas grid. Um, So getting them to switch to uh, a low carbon gas as the strategy laid out by uh, retrofitting homes by 2035, they're phasing out um, being able to putting a new natural gas boiler. So that's not that far away and and actually exploring what the easiest way of changing your low carbon heating for your home is something that we're trying to help innovators to develop. Cool. Thanks, Jenny. Yeah, it's really not that far away at all. It's Uh, not. It's really not. Uh, I suppose it also links in with some other work we've done at KTM with um, the UK Science Innovation Network in Canada around sort of hydrogen and gas blending standards, you know, into the gas grid and the the gas that's going to feed into into these homes ultimately. So, um, yeah, that's great to start us off. Jeff, um, just in relation to hydrogen, what, what are the options for heating and hot water? in in homes obviously so could you sort of set the scene for us a little bit yeah for sure so i mean jenny's mentioned that 85 percent of homes are on the gas grid and a decent chunk of the commercial building stock or the non-domestic building stock is also you know using gas for for heat and hot water uses so in terms of numbers that's roughly 22 million homes so it's you know no mean feat to get those onto something else and we absolutely have to move away from fossil gas um, in order to meet net zero there's no sort of option to keep that going forever so 2035 um, as a phase out for sale of standard natural gas boilers, that for us is a fundamental question for the business. It's something we've you know been very very conscious of for the last few years, and we're in the midst of a of a real transformation really. Um, so alternative options then you've got hydrogen, which we're talking about today. We've got electrification and heat pumps. So it's not necessarily all heat pumps. There will be an element of direct electric as well in in, in the right circumstance, and importantly as well, low carbon heat networks. Um, so that could be driven by heat pumps and electrification. It could be driven by hydrogen. It could be driven by a mixture of both. But again, you know, the prevalence of heat networks will certainly start to uh, to ramp up in, in line with, with the government ambition. So in terms of hydrogen then, effectively what we're doing is taking a, a natural gas um, platform, you know, a, a boiler range that we, that, that we currently have in the market, and then seeing how can we adapt that to, to burn pure hydrogen. So the idea being that it operates in much the same way as a natural gas boiler today. So it looks the same, it's about the same size, it offers the same sort of performance and output. So you don't necessarily have to go about making whole-scale changes to to the housing stock to make it suitable. So you can keep the same heating system, you can keep the same radiators. And if you've got a combi boiler, you don't have to worry about finding space for a hot water store. 
and in several million homes that is going to be a big big barrier to to pure heat pump adoption because homes have been built without space for a storage cylinder or storage cylinders have been taken out and then replaced with storage cupboards or even you know being added into rooms so that's something we're quite conscious about the main thing really is from a consumer perspective it, it's much the same low disruption and that's that's real you know that that's the um the benefit really in in some respects but it's also quite a different proposition to the other options as hydrogen will be quite infrastructure driven it'd be more of a top-down rollout more so than a consumer choice and you know you can't necessarily go up to your favorite trade counter today and say can I have a hydrogen boiler please you need the hydrogen coming down the pipe to make that make that play really so that, that's going to be one of the key differences that's great and um, I know Jeff, that Baxi is involved in some great projects to demonstrate 100% hydrogen boilers. Um, what challenges has that highlight, highlighted and, and what still needs to be overcome, do you think? Yes, yeah, so through the um, the government High for Heat projects, we, we've had a number of demonstration units around the UK. We also have you know, demonstration projects around Europe as well, doing sort of similar, um, similar concepts. So what we've done is we've taken the hydrogen prototype so again we said it's a boiler what looks like a boiler works like a boiler but runs on pure hydrogen so there's no carbon output so it's zero carbon at point of use which is obviously the reason for doing this um but it operates in much the same way however what looks like a fairly boring stick it on the wall boiler and that's the whole thing you know it is familiar which is the key thing um there's some really cutting edge innovation behind the case you know in the, in the internals of the product so First and foremost, we've had to deal with the differences in hydrogen combustion versus natural gas. So it's a different gas type. It, it, it reacts in a different way when you burn it. So we've got a higher flame speed, which means there's some 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 stuff around resilience of burners and such. Um, there's a higher volumetric flow rate. So the Wobby index for hydrogen is different to that of natural gas. So it's about a third of the energy density. So you have to, you have to move a higher volumetric flow through the product to get the same output. Um, I guess probably one of the bigger ones is flame detection. So, so today's natural gas boilers, you'll use an ionisation current, so you'll pass an electric current over the flame, which effectively reacts with the carbon, and you get a signal to prove that, that there's, a, there's a safe flame being developed and working. Um, with hydrogen, there's no carbon, so you can't do that. So flame detection is probably one of the biggest changes we've had to make. So that's the internals then so there's there's some key differences there pretty much you know the the, the burner uh, and, and some of the gas facing components have had to be um you know completely redone then you start to look at the outputs so flow rates for a combi boiler outputs on the central heating side very much the same as you get from a condensing boiler which again really big positive benefit um we still do have products of combustion though so one thing that's interesting is is the dew point for hydrogen is actually higher than natural gas so you get a lot more condensing operation across the whole range of outputs. Um, but that means you get more condensate produced as a result. So that's interesting insofar as we managed to, to handle that through a standard sort of condensed trap and drain situation. But it's, it's something that, that, that we need to have a look at for sure. In terms of outputs on the flue, so we've got a combustion process. So even though there's no carbon in the fuel and we've got no carbon dioxide coming out, which is the end goal there, most of the flue output is effectively warm, moist air. But because you've got oxygen as part of the combustion process, there is an element of NOx in there because you can have oxidised nitrogen as a result of, of, of the process that goes on there. Um, and that's often raised as, as, as a concern with hydrogen based upon some pretty old American studies looking at you know, commercial plant and atmospheric equipment. 
with a condensing design, which is what everybody in the industry is working on, um, we're all seeing very, very low levels of NOx. In, in our particular case, less than half that of, of, of our best condensing gas boilers. So it really is a negligible issue and not really something worth even discussing, to be fair. It, it, it's something that, um, as we start to come forward with commercial launches of product and full technical data in the public domain, that will, will very quickly go away. I mean, that's good to know because air quality, again, is another big issue for the government. So, and I have heard that raised as an issue before. So that's good to know. Yeah, as always with these things, there's there's a lot of information that's perhaps out of date that's regularly regurgitated by, you know, people in the industry that don't necessarily aren't that close to it. So they sort of take it at face value. But uh, yeah, there's more to come on hydrogen that will help to dispel some of these myths for sure. Yeah, cheers. That's really interesting i didn't i was familiar with the uh, flame detection issue i i didn't know about the difference in dew point so i should imagine that'll have um some pretty big implications as well in some industrial applications with stacks and things like that but uh, yeah that's probably one for another day um g- given that the, the switch from natural gas to hydrogen is as you've highlighted in theory should be fairly pain free for homeowners you know as you said there's a lot of very high tech kit behind the box but hopefully for homeowners it's still a boiler on the wall as they're used to um and you know certainly compared to other options like heat pumps and stuff that should be should be fairly straightforward to them do you have a feel for what sort of percentage of homes we think might switch in the 2030s and then just on that is that likely to be limited you know, I guess to start with, maybe it needs to be limited around some of the industrial clusters, or do you think, um, you know, all 23 million homes currently on the gas grid can switch to 100% hydrogen? Great question, Steph. Thank you. That's a really interesting one. So from a technical perspective, there's no limitation on the number of homes. So if you're on gas today, you can take a hydrogen boiler tomorrow. The operation and such is very much the same. And, you know, the industry's gearing up towards serial production, so production volumes are not concerned at all because we do, you know, we do big numbers day to day as a, as a matter of course. What we need to be mindful of, there's a, there's a couple of factors that play into this. So one is the fifth carbon budget, and that leads on to a requirement for a 78% emissions reduction by 2035. So hydrogen conversion at scale will start, you know, could well be underway by then, but... Um, it's not going to give us the emissions reduction to get to 78% in that time scale. So that's why we're starting to see a lot of demand to get the heat, get the heat pump market to mass market pretty quickly. Uh, in, in a, Jenny mentioned this, this target of 600,000 installs per year by 2028. So a complete one-to-one switchover from home, you know, for all the homes on the gas network to hydrogen is probably unlikely in, in that regard. Um, and we can see it being a much more of a split between heat pump, hydrogen and heat networks in the future. Um, the other constraining factor, which leads us to the industrial clusters bit, is going to be the quantity of clean hydrogen that's available. So there's going to be a bit of competition for different use cases, and there's obviously industry, aviation, um, HGVs, etc., all, all sort of vying for that space. Um, so I think we'll start to see conversion really geared around the clusters because that's where the infrastructure investment's going in uh, in the short to medium term, and that's where we'll start to see volume. I think as, as another point to add into this, a really interesting point of reference. We've mentioned the heat and building strategy. We also had the UK hydrogen strategy last year, and that covers all the different use cases. But um, the interesting bit tucked away in there is demand scenarios for hydrogen by sector. And, and tellingly, the 2050 figure for heat is anywhere between zero and 210 terawatt hours per year. So that gives a fairly broad you know, it's a fairly broad spread of demand. Because um, obviously, you know, we could end up in a situation in 26 where the government say, look, 
we're not doing this. However, it's highly unlikely. Or it could be all, you know, full steam ahead, let's go for it. Um, but to put some context on 210 terawatt hours per year, that's about half of the total domestic building heat load today. So there's potentially very big numbers in the future, but there are constraining factors that we need to be mindful of. I was actually at an event yesterday with the, the food manufacturing sector um, presenting to them and I, I told them to keep an eye on the winners from the uh, net zero hydrogen fund because that could indicate where where the hydrogen supply was getting to their area in time for when they need it. It is a challenge supplying the hydrogen. Okay, so um, the next question uh, for you is around um, your experience with consumers. So the consumers that have been involved in the trials, how, how have they felt about um, using hydrogen in their homes? Have you seen any resistance or is it the, the ease of switching over to hydrogen boilers winning people over? Sure. So the consumer experience is probably one of the most critical aspects of the future of heat in general. Um, essentially, we're going to be asking homeowners, home occupiers to make a radical change in some respects or take something fairly familiar, but have a different sort of setup to it in terms of how that's, how that, how that's supplied. So the 100% trials we've been involved in today have been unoccupied. So the high heat stuff, it's in demonstration homes. There have been some occupied trials looking at hydrogen blends, so up to 20% by volume, and we've been involved in that through, through high deploy. It's a really good one. So once we start to talk about, we've done you know focus groups, we've done a lot of work around, around consumer outreach. Once we start to look at optionality for where the home heating future may go and some of the costs and certainly upfront capital costs around some of the options, hydrogen starts to become quite favorable because it's familiar, it's a boiler, people are used to it. And you don't need to necessarily need to change your lifestyle or, or, or um, you know, aspect of your house to make it work. Um, safety always crops up as a conversation for sure. And it's really interesting that some of the gas distribution networks have done some really good social science work on safety perceptions. And it's all coming out being really positive effectively. So once you start to have that discussion that it's a flammable gas, you currently take a flammable gas into your home in the form of methane today and burn it. Um, the safety case that we're seeing coming out of the high for heat program is comparable in terms of um, you know risk etc. Um, and the key point really that's come across is is the gas industry is very very highly regulated and has got a superb safety record. So from a consumer point of view, once that start that starts to be discussed, you start to see quite a high level of trust. And you know we wouldn't be in the situation of putting in an unproven or a, a questionable sort of situation into people's homes because the, 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 there's a lot of implications that go with doing that. Do you think there's any, because um, obviously hydrogen at the moment is very expensive to produce, but once we've hopefully with the fund scaled up some hydrogen production in the UK, the cost will come down. But I would imagine for a while it is going to stay a little more expensive than natural gas. Um, do you, was there any conversation around that? Was were consumers concerned about how expensive it might be to switch? It's something that's raised as, as a point of conversation for sure. Um, now I'm not going to sit here and try to tell you what the energy price of any of the energy vectors is going to be in ten years. Because if I could do that, I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you. I'd be, yeah, I'd be on a beach somewhere. Um, <laughs> one thing for sure: green hydrogen learning rates are going to kick in massively. So we've seen offshore wind go from being one of the more expensive methods of generation to arguably the cheapest today. Um, and we're going to see a much higher penetration of offshore wind in 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 terms of grid over the next few years, anyway. Which leads us to the issue of dispatch and and the, and the ability to keep them running. So you know, hydrogen for me is all about interseasonal storage. 
if you look at things on a on a paper point of view, other options look look from from a purely um, theoretical point of view, other options might be more attractive. However, when you start to look at it from a practical point of view and the fact that we'd end up having to have masses and masses of generation plant for just to cover the winter peak that will be redundant for most of the year because you can't store electricity at that sort of scale other than in hydrogen, that's when, that's when it starts to come into play. So, so I think once we start to see costs down on green in terms of learning rates and infrastructure, costs coming down with investment, obviously, um, and the ability to use effectively overspill generation in those months where it would effectively otherwise be a cost to the network to, to, to actually sort of constrain that, that supply. Um, I, I think the cost of hydrogen will actually be highly competitive. Excellent. Cool, great, yeah. Um, just finally, I think, Jeff, I think we've got time just for one more question. You never know who might be listening to this uh, podcast. So is there anything that you think government could do to help the hydrogen industry and homeowners switch in terms of heating? I mean... I know we're still awaiting a decision on whether um, hydrogen will be in the mix for heating for homes in 2026. But is there anything else you'd like to see in terms of you know capital support, tax incentives, etc.? Yes, all of the above. <laughs> um, be, 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 being realistic, we're in a situation at the minute where there's a lot of pressure on Treasury across the entire economy. So I think it's unrealistic to start to ask for significant input for, um, for any one given technology. Um, however... Hydrogen ready is a big thing. So we mentioned before that that the you know changing over the local areas of the grid, be it by street, postcode, or town level, that's going to be fairly top down. So it's going to be an intervention based approach whereby you know you've, you've got to change over or have an alternative. Um, when you start to go above a twenty percent blend, looking towards a hundred percent or ninety eight percent as it might be in the distribution network for pure hydrogen, that's a different appliance. So you can't have today's natural gas boiler working on hydrogen; it's got to be changed out. So what? everyone is working on is this concept of hydrogen ready so that's a boiler that can work on natural gas out of the box can be installed by today's skilled workforce and can quite happily work on natural gas for as long as you want it to but at that point of conversion it can be can be um, converted in situ with a small number of parts less than an hour intervention and then you're up and running on hydrogen so getting those out there early and, and effectively sort of pump priming the housing stock uh, is going to be a big thing so so the natural gas boiler market in the domestic term is roughly 1.6 million units per year. So for all of those 1.6 million units from a given date were hydrogen ready into the into the market, by the time we get to 2030 or so, when we start to see local conversions really kicking off, a decent chunk of that housing stock will be ready to do it. So it brings the time and the cost of that conversion right down. So as we speak today, looming up summer recess, you know, we're waiting for a, a consultation from Bayes on what's what's being dubbed the boiler consultation but effectively one of the questions in there will be should we mandate through regulation that all boiler sales from a given date are hydrogen ready uh, and that date is likely to be 2026 so what we need really from government from the appliance manufacturer's point of view is certainty around that point as quickly as possible so we can start to get you know we, we're obviously well down that journey there are other manufacturers that need to, to sort of get caught up so as a sector we, we need that certainty um, once we start to get policy certainty around that things will move very quickly but i guess the other thing which we've sort of touched on is upstream so you know whatever comes down the pipe we can handle it that's great and there's a big debate around green and blue which we won't get into today um but business models for hydrogen production and getting the upstream sector really kicking off at, at speed is going to be pretty critical for all of the sectors. So so we know there's there's work going on with business models, which will be sort of similar to contracts for difference. So that will start to bring cost of production down, which is obviously critical to everybody. Um, 
but yeah, getting getting the uh, getting the supply side sorted is probably our biggest ask at the moment. Yeah, absolutely makes sense. As you say, there's yeah. a lot going on at the moment with things like you know previously high supply two and net zero hydrogen fund and what have you. But yeah, understand and echo your your thoughts. So, uh, Jeff, Jenny, it's. Yeah, kind of feels like we could carry on for, for a long time on this <laughs> yeah. conversation. Um, but we try and keep it sort of snappy for our listeners so we can fit into their days. Um, thank you very much, Jeff. Really appreciate you making the time to join us and sharing your expertise with us and the audience. And Jenny, thanks as always for your heat and hydrogen expertise. Um, I know those listening will really appreciate you being here. No problem, Steph. And, and thanks again, Jeff. Really appreciate you being able to come and join us on the podcast. And thanks to everybody for listening as well. Um, any uh, information that we've spoken about today, we'll pop links um, into the description below, as well as a, a link to the Innovate UK KTM website so that you can find the other podcasts um, that Steph mentioned and also our newsletters and updates. Um, but thanks again for following us and goodbye for now. Innovate UK KTN, connecting for positive change.